The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you've followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labour and strive, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Well, good morning, everybody. As we continue today in our series, Household Through One Timothy, I wanted to invite you to my household. This is where the Dirks family live, and I want to show you a few things today. Because when God speaks in 1 Timothy in this series we've called Household, one of the things he has on his mind is home improvements. You might remember early in chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. When God speaks through Paul to Timothy and to us today, he's speaking about his household and how he wants to strengthen it. You might call it a renovation or a home improvement. So here we are in our family home gym, a place where we like to train and exercise. And for me as a keen cyclist, I like to try and get faster as a cyclist in this room. 
And I wanted to bring you here today because as Paul says to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. There is a strong training theme that I want to lead us through today as, uh, as we think about 1 Timothy chapter 4. And so what better place to do it than in the place where I love to train. So welcome, welcome. It's good to have you here. Now, firstly, it's worth understanding there's a difference between training and exercising. Uh, one person who I respect on this is a guy called Mark Ripito. He is a world-renowned authority in strength training. Here's what he says. Exercise and training are two different things. Exercise is physical activity for its own sake, a workout done for the effect it produces today. Training is a physical activity done with a longer-term goal in mind the constituent workouts of which are specifically designed to produce that goal. If a program of physical activity is not designed to get you stronger or faster or better conditioned by producing a specific stress to which a specific desirable adaptation can occur, you don't get to call it training, it's just exercise. And as I reflected upon training and reflected upon 1 Timothy 4, there are five elements. They're not exhaustive, but five elements that I think will be effective for training and indeed training for godliness. The first is set a goal. You've got to set a goal. Training is about going from here to there. And there is the goal. There is where you want to be. When Paul speaks to Timothy... He helps him set this goal. The goal of all this training is so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, as Paul says these words to Timothy, as God says these words to us, we're being encouraged on a journey of discipleship, a journey of progress. A journey to not have the same prayer points today, Lord help me read my Bible, I'm not really great at reading my Bible, to not have the same prayer points today and in five years time. Lord I really struggle with anger, help me deal with my anger and in five years time it's the same. It's to be on a progressive journey to train in godliness and to grow. What Paul says to Timothy And says to us, as a goal of our training for godliness, is to guard life and doctrine. Paul is speaking into a major theme in this book at this point. He's speaking about conviction and he's speaking about character. Train, the goal is that your conviction, the things that you believe, would be sound things. It's very easy to have a gospel that many people will say, Amen, that sounds good. But will Jesus say amen to your gospel? The goal is to have a life and a doctrine that is sound. It's to have a life and a doctrine that perseveres to the end. For it's one thing to believe today, but will I believe? Will I stay true in my faith at the very end? It's to be a lifelong sound believer and liver. And the goal of these things is a contagious salvation. By persevering and progressing in sound life and sound doctrine, you not only save yourself, you get to be part of the mission of the God who has been on mission from the beginning of seeing many come recognize Jesus and believe. 
The second thing is to know yourself, to have an idea of who you are. Maybe you might say to know your limits. If training is moving from here to there, it's understanding where here is. It's not knowing my limits so that I never exceed them. It's not knowing my limits so I might feel that that's all I'll ever be. It's knowing where I start, what's around me, what are the challenges, what do I need to improve in to get there. Think about your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities and your threats. Paul speaks to Timothy again and in verses 1 to 4 he says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is, because it is consecrated by, by the word of God and prayer. We're told that we have a significant strength in wanting to be training for godliness. What is our strength? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus taught us, is the Spirit of God who both convicts and conforms. He convicts us of our sin. He lets us know. He warns us. And in this passage, he warns that some will abandon faith. Not everybody who has called upon Jesus will be calling upon the same Jesus. And maybe the Jesus they started with may not be the Jesus they finish with. A sad reality of church life is not every church is a good church. Not every teacher is a faithful teacher. The Spirit warns that you will need attentive ears. That's a strength. We've been given a heads up by God's own Spirit. And the Spirit works to conform us to the likeness of Christ. He works to remind us of the good things we have been taught so that we don't get led astray. This is the beautiful thing about training under God. You might think, wow, this training language sounds like a lot of hard work. And look, some of it might be. But imagine yourself as a boat. And someone says, you know, we really got to get this boat moving forward. I don't want you to think of yourself in a rowboat straining at the oars harder and harder. I want you to think of your training as trimming your sails to where an external power is blowing. The Spirit of God who wants to convict us of sin, who wants to conform us to the likeness of Christ, is there willing and wanting to help us guard our life and doctrine, to persevere in our faith. What's our role? Train and trim those sails to catch where the Spirit is blowing, that we might be blown on in godliness. We understand the weakness of our here position, and that is, that while we are deceivable, we're dependent upon God and God's people and God's word to help us stay in truth. A weakness, one of, the, one of the scary things I saw in these verses was that some of these teachers who are hypocritical liars have had their conscience seared. What does that mean? You know when you barbecue some meat before you put it on the grill, you put it on the hot, hot, hot plate just, just for a little while, on both sides you sear it so that things are sealed in and sealed out a weakness that we can have as disciples 
just like these hypocritical teachers who may not have started out wanting to be hypocritical, is that we can be seared in such a way that we refuse to take in new things and we refuse to dump out things that we should. There's a weakness to be aware of in knowing ourselves. It's a wonderful opportunity that God presents us in this passage. There's a freedom to enjoy what God has created, to get liberated. Sometimes Christians fall over when they either get legalistic, creating all these laws, and so we're locked out from enjoying what God has given us, or we get guilty. We feel bad because God has blessed us with what John Calvin called many things to sweeten our earthly existence. And we feel bad because not everyone has it. It is sad that not everyone has it, but you don't need to feel bad if God has blessed you. And then maybe if we don't feel legalistic or guilted, sometimes we, rather than enjoying God's liberty, we go to a different space where maybe we become liberal. And rather than enjoy the things God has given us, that God has created, we distort the things God has created and walk in ways that God did never plan for those things. And finally, in strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats, the threat that I think we've recognized already from these verses is false teaching. The distorted truths. Those things that might come to us from alleged teachers that simply aren't scriptural, that aren't true. But it's not only in church. We live in a world where we're blessed to receive lots of information, lots lots of wisdom, lots of good things, lots of information. But some of these truths, though they sound great and we enjoy hearing them on our ears, they're not truths or they're half-truths or they're distortions. One of the ones that I think infects society today and infects God's church and infects any concept of training for godliness or training for a lot of things is that hard things are bad things. But that's simply not true. Hard things, they're hard things. And hard things can be sad things. And hard things can be crushing things. But hard things are not necessarily bad things. In fact, the scripture reminds us time and again that it's through these hard things that we're refined, that faith grows, that we train and become more than we ever were before. But because of this half-truth, this distorted truth that is around, it means that today we live in a world where even within church, where we have the scriptures, We can become fearful of facts because facts can be something someone's struggling with. So we avoid them. Don't avoid the facts. Help the struggler because the facts will always be there. The facts are like the lighthouse. Let's help the ship navigate and ask the lighthouse to change a reality. Because sometimes we believe that hard things are bad things, when we endure suffering, we ask the question of, is God really good because I'm suffering? But hard things aren't bad things. In fact, though suffering is heartbreaking and it's truly hard, it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, the scriptures tell us, count it as pure joy. This is God refining you. This is your father who cares enough to want to strengthen you, to want to train you. 
And if you think that's hard to believe, then consider the Lord Jesus, who chose to suffer. Not because he was a masochist, not because he wanted to do bad things. No, he was sinless. He was perfect. But he chose suffering. He chose sadness. He chose hardship because it was a good thing. Sometimes we wrestle with issues of discrimination. And that language has been so helpful in our time to help us understand what is simply not fair and not right. Sometimes it's distorted to the point where we can't even deal with objective and sensible discrimination. Sometimes we wrestle so much with being disliked or rejected. Sometimes we confuse being loving for being nice. All because of a significant truth that interferes with our training for godliness. And that is that hard things are bad things. Sometimes we teach ourselves because hard things are bad things, hard things are to be avoided. And I know we've all had a number of hard things through this COVID period and we'll have hard things coming out of it. But hard things are not things to be avoided for those who would train and stand up against hard things and get better and stronger and godlier. Hard things aren't bad things. Hard things are hard things. So number three, in training, you got a fuel to train. One of the coaches I like to listen to is a lady called Amber Pierce, a former professional cyclist and a coach at the company Trainer Road. One of the things she always says is don't diet on the bike. Cyclists are very weight conscious people, particularly the road riding ones. They go up hills. And so some of them starve themselves on the bike. And she said, don't diet on the bike. Why? Because you need enough fuel and you need the right fuel to drive you onto your goals. And this is exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy, verses 6 to 7. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Nourished. Hit that food language. Nourished on the truths of faith and of the good teaching you have followed. Paul saying to Timothy, if we're going to do this training, we need to keep feeding ourselves on the truth. If we're going to spot the errors, then we need to keep feeding ourselves on the truth. Here is something that struck me a while ago, and perhaps I'm one of those hypocritical teachers you should be aware of because I'm still wrestling this down. And the question for me is this, which scroll is longer? My social media scroll or my scriptural scroll? Do I take in more worldly words each day from my socials than word of God that I take in each day? And if it's the socials that are longer, then I wonder if perhaps I'm disproportionate. Perhaps I'm having the wrong food and I'm starving myself. So what's the plan? You might say, right, this is it. This is where I get that uh, read the Bible in a year plan going. Can I just say a quick word on this? Great if you do. Wonderful. Here's another time to know your limit. Just because everybody else has started the read the Bible in a year and well done them, and the superstars read the Bible in three months, that would be like me trying to run a marathon tomorrow if you haven't been reading your Bible at all. Maybe pick a smaller goal. Maybe pick a goal that takes you from here to there. It does not have to be couch to marathon. 
pick something that develops you progressively each day, each week, each month, each year. So the fourth thing as a training for godliness is this, focus on delayed gratification. Here's what Paul says to Timothy, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Paul says, just as physical training, and you're standing in my home, well, I'm standing in my home with a home gym. Obviously, I like physical training. But Paul says, as much as all of that is good, godliness is greater. He says, there is something more. Godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And he says that this is a trustworthy saying that we should all receive. Paul's saying there's more than our physical endeavor. There's more than our physical world. And I, friends, I think this is a challenging word for us in our time. We are rightly... And this very book, in fact, I think the next chapter will speak to us about caring for the physical needs of others. Sometimes in Christian community, there is a trend towards making sure people are well-fed, warm and clothed, and housed, yet not saved. The danger is we could be those who send people to hell well-clothed, fed, and warm. If we do not preach the gospel and announce that Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sins and rose for eternal life, then we are not practicing the commission that God has given us. Now, all of those other things are scripturally mandated. God cares for what he calls the quartet of the vulnerable, the fatherless, the widow, the stranger among you, uh, the poor, these sorts of things. This is all scriptural. But if we do not preach the gospel, if we do not announce that outside of Jesus we are lost, then we fall short of our commission. Then we are like people who only do physical training and neglect godliness. We put the earthly time above the eternal time. This is challenging stuff because this asks us to look beyond the satisfying of real needs today and beyond real comforts today and asks us to step into a more holistic space where because we know there is a God who loves everybody and died to set them free for eternity, we also care for the present time. But if we neglect the eternity, we neglect our call from God. We've got to set our minds on the things above. We've got to focus on the priorities that are beyond this present life. We want to adopt. Paul says, this is why we labor for this. This is why when our church was first founded, there were three books. There'd be a Bible in every pew. There'd be a prayer book in every pew. And there'd be a copy of Fox's Book of the Martyrs, a book of people who surrendered their life who gave up their safety, who were aware of the health conditions, but prioritized the gospel and God's calling first. In our time, 
where we've wrestled with some of these COVID issues and wrestled with the things going forward. I cannot prescribe to you exactly what's right, but I simply, but I will say to you, the principle is set your minds on things above. Physical training, physical health, physical concerns are of some value, but godliness is great gain for eternity. And so finally, and this one really speaks to me because I'm a little bit wacky and maybe it'll speak to you too. Tug excellence, not perfection. Paul says to Timothy in verses 11 to 14, Command and teach these things and don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. So Paul is saying, and I don't know if you notice, there is a, a perfection missing in this, this, these, these things Paul says to Timothy. First of all, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Timothy... In fact, the whole community, there'll be a bit of an elephant in the room. Who is this young guy who's come in and who is leading the church? Shouldn't he be an older man, a grey-haired man, one who we stand in the presence of grey hair, as Leviticus calls us to do? Paul says, despite that imperfection, you strive for excellence. You, won't, you might not have the crown of wisdom that is grey hair, but set the example in your speech, in your godliness, in your character. Let that be the thing that will commend you. What a word that speaks to us today as we anticipate a new Timothy, a new senior leader, who for some of you, for the first time ever, might be younger than you. Ever had a minister younger, a senior minister younger than you? I've never had a boss who's younger than me, but my new boss could well be younger than me. What will we search for in this man that he's old and wise? Well, hopefully he's wise. He may not be old. He may be younger. The perfection that we might seek in wanting to have a grey head Moses walk into the room <laughs> just may not happen. But we target excellence that we have a leader who sets an example in godliness, in speech, in character. And this is what Paul, this is what God calls us to. Sometimes excellence, uh, perfection is beyond us, but excellence is something that we can certainly target. Once again, Paul says, I really want to come to you. I really want to come to the church at Ephesus. Now, why is it important for Paul to come to the church at Ephesus? Because Paul is an apostle. He comes with apostolic authority. Paul is one who has seen the risen Jesus, commissioned by the risen Jesus. Paul is one who writes the Bible. So he's kind of a big deal. And he says, it'd be really great for the church. In fact, it'd be perfect just about if I could turn up and I could teach you directly. But right now I can't. So I've written you these things that God's church might be in order. Until I come to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dedicate yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Now, it's worth us sort of pausing on this because it's a bit of a point of order for us as a 21st century church. Paul says, dedicate yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Now, of course, it's an excellent thing for all of us to be engaged in reading the Bible, uh, to 
nourish ourselves and feed ourselves on truth. Why the public reading of Scripture? Well, because this is one of those moments where God says, I want my church, much like my gathering on my church at Mount Sinai came all under the hearing and sounding of my word. I want you together to sit under the sounding of my word. In fact, every often people think the sermon is the center of a, of a church service. It's not. The center of an Anglican church service, as Thomas Cranmer, who wrote our prayer book, designed, is that the Bible will be heard publicly. If you go to a church where they don't read the Bible out loud, you're going to a bad church. Churches are meant to read the scriptures together out loud. We must come under the hearing of God's word. But God, but God goes further as he speaks through Paul. And he says, dedicate yourself to preaching. Uh, in the original language, it's para, paraklesis. This is announcing, proclaiming, and calling. It's calling people to belief. It's calling and, uh, what's the word, persuading that people might believe. Now, this is a one that's a little bit tricky on our ears as well, because whilst Paul says, dedicate yourself to teaching, he separates this word of preaching here as well. This is where not a panel, but one will persuade. Where a chosen elder, and in the Book 1 Timothy, that's going to be Timothy, and some of the elders he'll appoint, he's going to stop some, will stand, and with words that should be revered, because they're informed words, they will call people, not to their own views, but to how they understand the scriptures and say, this is what God is saying, and this is what we should believe. And it's challenging. It may not be the best way to teach all the time, but it's an excellent form of discipleship, as we are called to sit as one submissive under God's appointed leader. And as I say, it was a humbling moment for me. It was, it's a few days under three years ago now, the first time I stood on the Fig Tree Anglican platform as I was commissioned by Anne Barnett as a new minister. And Reverend Anne Barnett, who was the senior minister of the time, said to me, Shane, when you preach, I don't want you to be mindful of me. I'm going to be sitting at your feet. You will be the teaching elder on that time. I want you to open the scriptures and hold nothing back as you call us to what you understand the scriptures are saying. And in the same way, that's my responsibility to sit at the feet of Ruth Barnes when she preaches, to sit at the feet of Pete Lenahan when he preaches, to sit at Langdon's feet, to sit at Steve Abbott's feet. And that is the calling on all of us as God's people to be silent and responsive and submissive to the preaching of the appointed teaching elder. And Paul says to Timothy, dedicate yourself to these public moments of reading the Bible and explaining and calling to the Bible. And it's different. Sometimes we think in our time, oh, maybe if we have a discussion panel or something like that. That's a different space and a good space. But preaching is particular. If your church doesn't preach, you're in a bad church. Now, Paul says, dedicate yourself to teaching as well. It's not enough to simply sit and, oh, great, that was entertaining or that was insightful or what have you. Paul says, no, you should actually be in the discussion panels, in the life groups, in the, all the other places where, where learning can take place and people can teach and learn and grow together. So dedicate yourself to preaching and teaching.
training and exercise are not the same thing. Perhaps being a Christian and being a disciple are a little bit different too. Disciples of Jesus journey with Jesus. They don't simply exercise their godliness. Under God and by the power of the Spirit, they train to grow in godliness. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. And indeed, this morning, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, uh, your own person, your own power, who convicts and conforms. He convicts us of the places where we stray, and he helps us to train by warning us away from those things and conforming us to the likeness of Christ. And so, Father, we ask in this time that we would train in godliness, that we would persevere in our faith, and that we, under you, would grow more and more in godliness like Christ, that he might be glorified, your household might be ordered and that and that your name might be praised amongst us all and those who don't yet know you. I pray in Jesus' name.